shortly after that, like everything just falls apart. Um, my my dad begins to, um, you know, threaten my mom's life. Um, there was a, a time where he actually asked if I would help him commit suicide. Um, I had I had thoughts of suicide. Um, there were times where I was like, if this is what life is, like, what the heck's the point? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't see a point in, in living if it's just this all the time. Um, Hey, my name is Kyle Schubert, and I am 34 years young, uh, and I'm going to share uh, a little bit about my story. Um, generally, when people ask you to share your testimony, uh, they're asking, you know, when, when did you become a Christian, or, or when did you meet Jesus, or when did you get saved? And for me, that's kind of a difficult uh, question to answer. Um, it's, it's not quite as cut and dry as maybe we would like it to be. Um, this isn't a, a perfect analogy, but um, for me, it's kind of like asking an apple tree when it became an apple tree. Was it uh, when it was in seed form? Was it when it began to sprout uh, and, and grow roots? Was it when it produced a trunk and branches uh, and leaves? Was it when it produced fruit? Um, that's kind of kind of how this faith journey was for me. So um, I'm going to do my best to be honest, to be uh, transparent, and to be gracious. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't want to. Uh, speak negatively of of you know certain people in my life that are still a part of my life. So I'm going to try and share my perspective and and my story as honestly as I can um, while still being gracious. So every good story uh, starts from the beginning. So I'm going to start from the beginning. I grew up small town <clears throat> northwest Iowa. Uh, at least for the first half of my life, uh, my, my younger life, I had uh, a mom and a dad. Um, the religion of our home was pleasure. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a, a Christian home or a, a spiritual home or religious home, at least in maybe the, the sense that you might be uh, familiar with. Um, uh, my parents liked to have a good time. Um, and what that meant for them was uh, a lot of drugs, uh, a lot of alcohol, a lot of substance abuse in, in different forms. Uh, I remember being really young uh, when my parents still at least seemingly got along. Uh, they, they would go out a lot. Um, they rode Harleys 
they would go to bike rallies all the time or or even just you know on a Friday night or whatever they'd go out to go out to a bar and and have a good time and that was kind of kind of the you know like I said the religion of of our home was was having a good time seeking pleasure I remember often as a a, a real young kid like there was always kind of a, a haze in the air at our house um, and you didn't know if it was cigarette smoke or you know weed or you know you, you didn't know what it was and um, I, I would I would often find like weird things in our house that at the time I didn't really know what it was and you know come to find out it's like drug paraphernalia like stuff to to you know smoke stuff or uh you know even to 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 do like you know harder stuff um and that was kind of that was like normal for me as a kid and uh i guess i kind of thought that that was normal for everybody that that was just how life was um the the interesting thing though was that my grandma who was really involved in my life for most of my life. Um, so my mom's mom, she loved Jesus. Um, she uh, kind of grew up in, in the Catholic Church. She had kind of this crazy experience. Uh, I think in like the 60s, there was this movement in the Catholic Church where uh, there was like charismatic Catholics, where there was like movements of of God's spirit and like people were doing crazy stuff and having Bible studies and um, she kind of got involved in that and and that's where she would say that she uh, came to know Jesus. Um, but then she she you know kind of got out of the Catholic Church and and ended up <laughs> kind of becoming like a uh, an evangelist to like get people out of Catholicism and you know that was just her deal. Um, but she she loved Jesus. And, and she paid for me to go to a private school, private Christian school, when I was younger. Uh, she would always encourage me to come to church with her and stuff. So when I was young, uh, I, I had heard of Jesus. I had heard the stories. You know, I knew, I knew the Bible stories. But I didn't, I didn't really like God. Um, I, I didn't I didn't ever claim to be an atheist. I, I never I really never thought that atheism, even as a young person, uh, I never thought that atheism was very convincing. Um, I always knew that there was something bigger than myself. But the problem was that I just didn't like who this God was. Um, and part of the reason for that was because of my family. Uh, and and the, the circumstance that I was in. Um, because as I started getting older, um, you know, things in my house just started falling apart. Um, my dad uh, became, and he probably was this way when I was younger, because I, I do remember, um, you know, being being real young and, and looking out my bedroom window and seeing my dad get hauled off in a, in a cop car. So I, I think he was like this when I was younger, but I just was maybe less aware of it or, you know, just less cognizant of, of what was really happening. Um, but as I started getting older, you know, my dad seemed to get 
uh, more and more angry. Uh, he and my mom fought more and more. He started getting more and more violent. Um, you know, I, I remember just r running to my bedroom often, just scared of what was happening between my parents. Um, there were, a, you know, a few times that I, I witnessed my dad, you know, lay hands on my mom. Um, and I hated God. Um, I, I hated that he had put me in that situation and that that was my life. And then I had to, you know, go to bed scared. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it, it turned out to be a thing where with my dad, either he wasn't present, he wasn't around, or he was around and I wish that he wasn't. Um, we, we obviously didn't have a, a great relationship. Um, I always seemed to gravitate towards my mom who, though she, I mean, you know, she, she has and had her, her struggles, her issues, just like we all do. Um, but she was kind of my protector, you know, I, I would, I would go to her and she would, um, she would kind of be that safe space, um, at, at least sometimes in kind of a chaotic environment. Um, but you also, uh, you know, if you come from crazy environments like that, or, uh, maybe you don't have a parent around, you learn to... Uh, cope with things in your own way you know like you're you're just a kid and you're out here trying to like survive you know you're just trying to learn stuff and grow but you don't have the people in your life to, to teach you how to do that in the right way in a way that's healthy so you just like you pick up on things that that make you feel safe or, or that you can cope with you know and uh, and for me um, there were a few things at a very young age that I, I developed um, to kind of help me cope with life. One was my imagination. Um, I developed a very vivid imagination very early on and often would just escape into this world uh, in my head because that world was way better than, you know, the world that I was, that I was living in. Um, another, another thing for me was... Um, when I was about uh, six years old, I found uh, my dad's Playboys in our house. I don't know why the heck you would keep your your Playboys on like the bottom in the bottom drawer of like a you know a, a thing that's like out in the living room. You know, um, you know. One day my mom was like taking a nap. And I was just bored. I was a kid, six years old, wandering around my house trying to find something to do. And I just stumble across these magazines. And, you know, at that age, you eat, like, you don't, especially if you don't have parents that are trying to teach you stuff, like, you don't know what, what that is. You, you don't know. You just see bodies and you, you know, you see this stuff and it does something in your brain. It, and so I remember I would start to, to go back to that. You know, if I was ever bored, um, I would go and find those magazines. Um, I didn't know what to do with them. 
I didn't know anything about my body. I didn't, I didn't you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, but I know that it made me feel a certain way. And, and I could go to that if, if I was bored or I needed to. And that's, that's something to keep in mind because that's a thread that's going to um, follow me for the, for the rest of my life and, and for the rest of my story. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm probably 10 years old. We, we moved to a new, a new house. I hate, you know, God at this point. I think he's a jerk. Um, I remember, you know, throwing up middle fingers to the sky, which seems so childish, but I was a child. Um, and, and just like, God, what? why are you doing this to me? Um, you know, my, my parents' relationship is, you know, non-existent, at least in a healthy sense. Um, they're always yelling at each other, throwing stuff around the house, breaking stuff. Um, you know, the, the drinking and the drugs just continues to grow. Um, my mom goes into a deep depression, um, loses her job. My dad seemingly like starts to go crazy. Um, all in the middle of this, <laughs> my brother is born. Um, and then, you know, not, not too far after that, my sister is born. Um, which is like crazy. Like I don't. When you have a relationship like my parents, it's like how does that even happen? But it did. Um, and uh, you know, with my sister, like the doctors, you know, get traces of the drugs in in uh, in her system and and in my sister's system um, when they're doing the blood work after she's born and. Um, so obviously that gets reported. Uh, my dad is still living at the house. He's still a part of the family at this time. Um, we have to go through counseling. We actually get, uh, taken out of our home, uh, and placed with my grandma. Um, thank you, Jesus. Uh, so we're, you know, we're living with my grandma for a little while. The, the state is like threatening, you know, my parents, like if you, if we find out that you're doing drugs again, we're going to like just take the kids and put them on the other side of the country. Um, and so we go through this counseling and my dad is a part of it, which at that time is, is super crazy because like to me, he just seems like this drunk, angry person. And so somehow as a family, we're able to put on this face for the, the counselor that we have to meet with and we get through that counseling and shortly after that like everything just falls apart um, my my dad begins to um, you know threaten my mom's life um, there was a, a time where he actually asked if I would help him commit suicide um, I had I had thoughts of suicide um, there were times where I was like, if this is what life is, like, what the heck's the point? You know, I, I, I don't, I don't see a point in, in living if it's just this all the time. Um, 
And I think, you know, our, our memories are, are fickle and frail, so I, I'm going to try and remember this as accurately as I can, but I feel like I remember this time where I was in my bedroom and I was seriously considering uh, just ending it, you know. Um, at that time, I'm probably 10 or 11, so like, I have like a pair of scissors in my hands and I'm going to like, you know, cut my wrists and that's how I'm going to do it. And I remember sitting there and I feel like, I feel like this sense of almost like responsibility for my siblings that like, if I take my life, well, like who's going to take care of my, my brother and sister? Um, and I, I really, I, I think that's what stopped me from doing it. That's that that thought kept me from from actually taking that that step. Um, so eventually, it gets bad enough to where uh, my mom is genuinely afraid for her life. She's afraid for um, the safety of you know my brother and sister, and so she's like, I gotta do, I gotta do something. Uh, and so I remember one day she quietly, you know, comes and finds me in the house and says, you know, we got, you got to pack some things. We got to pack your bags. We're going to be leaving for a few days um, because I'm, I'm afraid. And so, you know, we got we to gotta do this. And, and so, you know, we get ready and we leave. And, and I'm excited because whenever... Uh, we'd left town before, uh, lots of times when my dad would have a fit of, of anger or rage or whatever. Um, you know, I have memories of us, you know, peeling out of our, our driveway. My dad's like throwing rocks at the car and stuff. And we would go to a, a different town for a couple days and let him cool down. Uh, and that always meant something fun for me uh, as a kid. You know, that always meant that my mom and I were going to get to hang out and we'd go do something fun. And so that was always a, a good memory, oddly enough, um, when we would have to, to leave. So I just thought this was another one of, of those times. Um, but the difference this time was that when we came home, my dad wasn't there. Um, she had, you know, informed the police of all of the things that he had said and done. She had a, a restraining order put on him um, and, and that, you know, they were officially separating, um, which would eventually turn into a, a divorce. But, uh, you know, I guess that's expensive or, or something. <laughs> it actually took a long time for them to, to officially divorce. Um, but now it's kind of like we're starting a, a new, kind of a new chapter um, in our lives and there's a period of time that is really uh, fuzzy for me um, but during that that period my dad was uh, essentially homeless um, he was living in uh, dumpsters under bridges um, his his own family didn't really want to like help him out um he he had gotten into uh some 
gotten into some trouble with some some folks. He kind of had him and his brothers had, had a reputation for um, maybe starting trouble or at least maybe finishing it if they didn't start it. Um, they got into a lot of uh, bar fights and stuff. That was, you know, they just kind of had that that reputation. And he, my dad had gotten into some trouble with some some uh, some bad dudes that uh, eventually that led to, and I don't even know all the details, honestly. Um, you know, I don't know, like, if he just, if they just got got into it with each other and didn't like each other or if there was, like, you know, drug money that was involved or, you know, I don't know. But um, at least the story as it goes was he was hanging out outside of a bar one night and uh, these dudes jumped him. Uh, he got hit uh, in the head with something. Um, the, uh, like the doctors and people that were examining him after he, you know, got picked up or whatever said that like the blow should have killed him. But because his like, and this is crazy, I'm, I'm no like, you know, biologist, I don't know how this works, but, um, you know, they said that his alcohol level was so high that that alone probably should have killed him. And then like the blow to the head should have killed him. But somehow like the alcohol level, because that was so high, it somehow like did something in his brain that it was just like a crazy thing. Uh, he, he should not have survived that, but he did. Um, I remember going and visiting him in the hospital and he was like, it was like, he was like a, a two-year-old. Um, he, he could hardly talk. He like didn't know who we were. He, f they had him tied to the bed. Like he would fiddle with stuff like a, like a child fiddles with things. Um, and I remember that being really like traumatizing, seeing my dad, uh, in that kind of condition. Um, it was just, it was scary. It was like a, a weird thing. I was like, what, it, what is even happening? Um, and my mom, crazy enough, my mom would take me to go visit him, even though she was terrified of him and, and didn't want anything to do with him. Um, she felt like I needed to, to see him and to be with him. So she would take me to go see him. Eventually he, he recovered from that and his brain healed and he learned how to talk again and le like basically became kind of like how he was before um, with some new quirks added and honestly some of the edge taken off as well. Um, he, he, was, he was a little bit different when he, when he came out of that. Um, but the problem was that he comes out of this and now he's homeless again. Um, at this time, I'm, I, you know, I'm starting, I'm in like probably my teens now. Um, I'm into high school. Um, and it, my mom had started seeing other guys who were just like, trash like they didn't treat her well it's like she was used to that so she kept looking for that um my dad uh kind of phase two of the crazy stuff with my dad was um he uh, it, it was the craziest thing 
I remember being at our house one evening um, and I, I hear somebody just yelling like from outside of our house. And I'm like, what is that? Like, what is going on? Um, I didn't go look. I was, I, you know, you, you hear somebody yelling outside and you, you just kind of were like, yeah, somebody's yelling, being stupid. I don't know. Um, but then uh, eventually I, I see all of these flashing lights outside, like real bright, like they're right outside of our house. And so I'm like, okay, something's going on. And, and so, you know, we go to go outside and my grandpa, who my grandma and grandpa live next door to us at this time, my grandpa comes in and is like, they're picking Mike up. Mike's my dad. Um, you know, they're, they're putting him in the ambulance right now. <laughs> I'm like, what is, what is going on? Um, he had uh, shot himself um, like three blocks from our house and then crawled all the way to our front lawn and collapsed in our front yard. And he, he was the one that was yelling. He was yelling for help. And my grandpa heard him yelling and came out and was the one that called the ambulance and, you know, got him hooked up. So he, he survived that as well, which is just nuts. Um, so now I am getting ready to graduate high school. Um, I was homeschooled during high school. My grandma tried to do that. Uh, but as like most, well, as, as many high school kids, um, I didn't like, I didn't really care that much about anything. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to skate and I wanted to play video games. That's really, that's really all I cared about. That's what I wanted to do. Um, at this point, uh, I was totally addicted to pornography. Um, I, so like when I was young, we didn't have, you know, Playboys, like we, we had magazines. That was, that was primarily how you, or maybe like, you know, uh, a sex scene in a movie or something like that. That was how you consumed that kind of media. Um, we didn't have like the internet wasn't a thing when I was a kid. Like we didn't, we just didn't have, we didn't have cell phones, you know, um, but when I was, you know, when I was around that 10 to 12 uh, year range, um, like the internet was a thing now. Um, you know, we had dial-up. I don't know if y'all remember dial-up. Um, but we, we got our first computer in our house. And I don't know, I mean, this is the worst idea ever, but... Like my parent, like my mom was, she was just trying to survive, trying to do the best she could. She, but I, I got to, I got to put the computer in my bedroom. So I would say that at least by, you know, uh, 11 or 12, I was like f totally addicted to pornography. I, I mean, I, that, like I said, when I'm six years old and I find these magazines and, and I begin to learn to cope with life through that, it just becomes a part of your life. You know, that, 
that's how you deal with all the craziness in life. You, you don't have somebody teaching you to, to deal with it in a way that's healthy. So that becomes deeply ingrained in who I am as a person. Um, I would wake up and, and look at pornography. I, uh, I learned about masturbation from the neighbor girl when I was about eight. Um, so, so, you know, around, around my, my teenage years, the beginning of my teenage years, um, every morning I would wake up and look at pornography every night before I would go to bed, I would look at it. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, more than that. Um, uh, another part of that was, um, when I was, uh, younger, I also, um, dealt with sexual abuse from family members, um, as well as from other kids. There was a daycare that I, I went to um, where one of the kids there um, would also sexually abuse me. And so you have the sexual abuse that is compounding a, you know, dependency on pornography, which is innately degrading to us as humans um, and pervasive and I mean it, it messes up your brain and and how your brain functions um, it, it digs pathways in your brain that are not easily undone and so you know by my teenage years I'm going through puberty um, by that time I'm already like entrenched in sexuality um, stuff just is going crazy in my body and my mind um, and I like have no idea what I'm doing with my life or what's going on um, uh, so I think it's important to note that um, when I was about eight or nine years old I think my grandma uh, took me to I think one of the only Sunday night services that I have ever been to in my life. <laughs> like, you know, I, I would go with her occasionally um, on a Sunday morning until I was old enough to say, you know, no, Grandma, I don't want to go, and I'm not going to go. Um, but I remember she took me to one evening service at the church that we were going to, and um, and it was. Uh, you know, a Pentecostal church, and some of you might not have any idea what that means, um, and, and some of you might. Um, but I remember, uh, and why that's important, why, why I even mentioned that it was a Pentecostal church, um, you'll see why that's important uh, as I continue with the story. But um, it, yeah, it was a Sunday night service, and it was not the preaching that got my attention. Um, you know, I, I didn't, it's not like I heard this gospel message and, and like came down to the front and gave my life to Jesus. Like I, that just wasn't, uh, what was happening, but it was during like the worship time. Um, you know, like the time in the service where everybody sings about this Jesus guy who at the time I, I didn't like, I hated, um, I remember looking around at all these people who were singing 
to this Jesus and about this Jesus. Um, some of them were in tears. Some of them were joyful. They were happy. They had a smile on their face. And I remember thinking, like, how are these people happy? Like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. These people must not these people must not know what's going on in the world. <laughs> like the, the there's no reason why these people should be as joyful as they are. And, and I remember like you know, I don't I don't know that this is a time like I don't know if this is the time where I gave my heart to Jesus or whatever, but I think that this was the first time that I had I like I like came toe to toe with God in a sense. Like I remember praying in whatever sense that I could pray. And I remember saying, God, if you are real, like if you are this person that all these people say you are, like you got to do something. Like you you got to you got to throw me a bone. Like you got to fix my family. You know, do something. And I remember like there was a a, a physical thing that that happened to me at that time and I, I don't know what it was. I maybe it was just emotions. I like I don't I don't know. But I I feel like that there was something that that changed in my course of life at that moment. Um, and, and after that, I began to become more aware of things that God was doing, though I still didn't really like God or, you know, want, I just wanted him to fix the problem that he made that was that was you know my my perspective on it. Um, so so that's important because as I'm getting older, um, I'm I'm you know beginning to have these just different experiences. You know, like maybe I go on like a trip with the youth group because I, I seem to like the youth group. There were girls there, uh, so that was exciting to me. Um, but I begin to have these experiences where. It feels like God is drawing me, even though maybe at that time I didn't quite understand that or, or realize that. Um, you know, even even just going back a little bit uh, to, to the start of my freshman year, um, I was homeschooled sophomore through senior year. Um, but during my freshman year, I went to a private high school. And that's where I got, I, I got my first real girlfriend. Um, and we dated for like a year, which is at that time is like, you know, that's a, that's a substantial amount of time, you know? Um, but the problem was that my brain, because of pornography and because of how that had become so entrenched in my life. And I certainly brought that into that relationship. Um, and like, you know, we basically did everything you could think of apart from intercourse. Because, you know, as teenage kids, you're like, 
We can still call ourselves virgins if we don't have intercourse. We can do everything else. Um, so that's, that's what we did. Um, and that relationship ended because her dad, who was a police officer, um, he did not like me, which he shouldn't have. He actually went to the self, I, I, this, I don't even know, if it's probably legal, but I don't, I, it seemed illegal at the, <laughs> at the time, but he went to uh, the cell phone provider and asked for all of her text records. Well, we had been, you know, sexting for eight months. So she, she told me that he had done that and just like I had done with pretty much every other challenge or difficulty or, or whatever in my life, she told me that and I ran. I, I was like, <laughs> and I even had the, the goal to, to be like, yeah, I think, I think God wants us to break up. But really, I was just terrified of her dad. Um, and so, so I broke up with her. Um, my current wife, uh, well, I've only had one wife, but <laughs> my wife, we've talked about this, um, and, and that girl, like, I mean, we probably would have gotten married um, if that wouldn't have happened, just because it, even though I was so messed up sexually, I feel like God had put something in me to, like, desire a long-term, meaningful relationship um so so that i mean yeah that that was totally like messed up i was a coward i ran just like i always did um and so then now i'm i'm getting into like my uh late teens like i said i just want to hang out like i want to go skating i want to play video games stay up late i gave my grandma like you know hell her trying to like homeschool me uh, in in those years because I just didn't care. Um, so it comes to my my you know graduating year. I have no idea what I'm gonna do with my life. Don't really care. I'm working at McDonald's part time, um, and. Through skating, uh, I get connected with uh, these dudes that are in a band. And because one of them skates. And so I get connected with him, you know, kind of become friends with him. Um, he, he asked me, this is the, the summer of 2007. Um, I had just graduated, working at McDonald's, you know, lots of big big goals, big dreams for my life. Um, still really not sure about this, this Jesus thing. Um, I, I kind of had this self-righteousness about me where a lot of the dudes that I hung out with, like they were partying, they were, you know, drinking, smoking weed, whatever. And I had this sense of like, oh, well, I don't do that stuff. So like, I'm good, you know, like, I'm, Christianity was almost like a, this cultural thing at this time, you know, because my grandma had taken me to church. I'd gone to a Christian school um, that was 
that was just part of that identity, but it didn't really, it didn't mean anything. There was even, you know, there's, there was a time where I was like, I don't care what God thinks or who this Jesus is. Like, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And so I, I, I have this guy in this band and I graduate and he's like, Hey, do you want to come on tour with us? We need, uh, we need a, a guy to like run our lights and sell our t-shirts and stuff. And you seem like a cool guy. Um, you know, people knew me as like, I was a nice guy. You know, people liked hanging out with me. Um, and I thought I was pretty cool too. And that was part of the problem. Um, so these guys are like, yeah, you want to, you want to come, come on tour with us. Uh, and I was like, yeah, dude, of course I want to go on tour. Like it was, they were, they were, they were like a, a metal band. And like, I was, that was what I was into at that time. Um, so I was stoked. I was like, let's freaking go. Um, so I left that summer. I was 17 when I left. My mom was like, yeah, that's cool. Um, I graduated early. I was like the young, you know, the young one in my class. Uh, so I, at 17, I leave home. I'm totally messed up in so many ways, but thinking that I, you know, have stuff together. Um, and I knew that this band was like, like a Christian band, right? Like I knew they were like a, you know, a religious band, whatever. Um, but I had no idea what I was getting into by saying yes uh, to, to going on this. Because these guys, um, it was different than anything I had experienced prior to that, that time. Um, like these guys were the real deal. Um, they always had their Bibles with them. They... Uh, we're praying together, like in the, we had this stupid little brown conversion van and we all crammed in there and they had this trailer in the back with all their equipment. Um, you know, first thing in the morning when they would get in the van, they would like pray together and they would like bust out their Bibles and, and read. And um, I remember the first time one of the guys, you know, gets in the van and he's like, guys, I have to confess something to you guys um, last night you know, I looked at porn and masturbated and I need to, I need to confess that. And I was like, dog, we don't, like, you don't just say that. Like, you don't just tell people that you did that. Cause to me that, you know, that, that was like a secret thing. That was like the thing you, you, you kept in your back pocket when you needed it. It wasn't something to talk about or, or share. And, you know, I even remember the first, the first tour I went on the first month, I remember, I met this girl at a show and like we made out after the show and I I went and told one of the guys in the band I was like dude last night I like made out with this girl and I was like I was like bragging about this like I was cool for doing it and, he, and <laughs> like I'll never forget it he like looked at me and was like why would you do that like that's dumb <laughs> I was like you're not impressed like you don't think I'm cool for for doing that and it was just, it, it was, it was wild, man. Like I had never experienced people like me dress like me, were into the same stuff as me, 
But like they were like serious about this Jesus thing. And so the first tour ended and they were like, hey, we want you to kind of be full time with us. And so I ended up for the next year, I think for the next year I was only home maybe three weeks total. The rest of the time I was out driving all over the country playing shows in bars and nightclubs and VFWs and whatever. And every single night, every single show without fail, the dudes in the band would get up and share the good news of Jesus, no matter where they were at. Um, They would get booed off stage, stuff thrown at them, run out of venues because people didn't want to hear what they were saying. Um, And so what that meant for me was that every single night I was hearing that Jesus loved me, that I was a sinner, which you re- I mean, you didn't really need to tell me that because I, I kind of knew that already, but I didn't understand that that meant that I needed to be forgiven. Like, that God and I were not on good terms because I had turned against him, that I had rebelled against him. So every night I heard that I was in trouble, but that God himself said, these guys are screwed, and so I needed to go and help them. And so he, he, he did. He wrapped himself in flesh, dealt with the same kind of stuff that we did, and he made a way for me to know God and to fulfill the original purpose of humanity, which is to have a relationship with our Creator and to work and live and, you know, enjoy life uh, with Him. And over time, something happened in me. Um, I, I remember the, the first time that I went home uh, after being on tour for about a month, I grabbed this old Bible that had been given to me. It was like this old King James Bible, which like, I, I don't know why anyone would, you know, any teenager would, would read, any 19-year-old would read a King James Bible. Like, but I, I, that's what I, I grabbed and I brought it with and I actually started reading it. Um, and I, I just started to, to learn about who this God that I had previously hated and was bitter towards, who that God actually was and what he was about. And that there were things that I just couldn't understand. And that's okay. Um, but my world got rocked. Like, I, I learned about the heart of God and the love of God through hanging out with homeless dudes in Texas. Um, 
like people that were looked down upon, people that were cast aside, um, people that were marginalized. Like I saw the image and the face of God in those people and I saw God's love for them. And that was like, that was like foundational to like my formative years as a Christian, if you will, you know, um, as I'm starting to learn more about who God is and, and God just begins to work in, in my life. And, um, you know, this band, there's like this movement in the, the, the hardcore and metal scene at that time um, with a few of these bands where like God begins to do like miraculous things um, and, you know, and, and me saying earlier that I was a part of a Pentecostal church or, or I, you know, been to one, um, that wasn't necessarily new to me, those, those kinds of things. But in this context and in the way in which they were happening was new and was different because it wasn't these dudes that went to seminary. It wasn't these guys that were ordained in this church and have this whole theology of, you know, the charismatic tradition or the gifts of the spirit. Like they, that wasn't a thing. It was just these guys that were serious about reading the scriptures and applying them and, and just trying to live out, you know, it was messy. It was super messy. Like there were things that we did that like you would never do in a church or do whatever. But like we were just out there like trying to bring the love of Jesus and the healing of Jesus to a world that needed it, you know? Like bringing light into dark places. Um, and we saw God do crazy stuff. Like, you know, I'm not even like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself like a, you know, a, a charismatic person in that sense. Like I'm, I, I, we don't go to a Pentecostal church or we, you know, that I wouldn't say that that's like my, my, my lane, if you will. But like, I, God just did it. Like I saw people's bones, like that were broken, like not be broken anymore. Right in front of our eyes, like we saw, like there was this, like, dude, this is crazy. There was like this little baby that they, uh, she had some issues in the womb where like there wasn't enough fluid in the womb, and so the baby just like rested on the bottom uh, of the 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 womb and like didn't grow. Um, things in her legs properly. Um, I don't know how exactly it all worked, but they ended up having to like uh, perform surgery on the baby to like remove like or, or clip her uh, like Achilles tendons, like the, the tendons back there um, because things were so painful for her. There was like so much tension. It, stuff was just like messed up in her body and her parents had heard that there was this metal band that like there were like people were being healed and they brought their daughter to this metal show to see 
if God would heal their daughter. Dude, and like, it, it was, it was nuts. Like, the drummer of the band like lays out a, a, like a sweatshirt, a hoodie on the sidewalk. We're outside the venue. And, and the guys are like, yeah, like we'll, like we'll pray for your daughter for healing. And like he like lays hands on this girl, this baby, you know, she's maybe like one at this time. Lays hands on this girl's ankles and just prays like, God, heal her. Dude, and he says like he, like he feels the, the tendons like growing back together. And I'm like, like, what is, what is happening? Like, what is going on? You know, it's almost like the only way that you could believe that is if you were there to like see it. And dude, everybody felt it. They're like, yeah, this isn't like, this isn't the way it was when we brought her here. Dude, like she can walk now. Like, I witnessed things that I can't explain other than to say that God is real and that God can do anything. Um, and so all that to say that that experience of me being on tour, like God changed me. Something, something changed in me. Um, and if I were to like put my finger on a time where I became a Christian, um, it, it, it would have to be that, that season. Um, because like I saw who Jesus was and I never looked back. Like I was like, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to follow you because I know that there is no life, there is no hope, there is no peace apart from you. I, I just don't, I don't have any other word, like, I don't have anywhere else to go. Like, you, you've got it, and I'm going to follow you wherever that takes me. Um, and during that time, God also begins to do kind of this intellectual work in me as well, because up to that point, I did not care about learning at all. Like I said, like when I was in high school, dude, I did, you know, I was a kid falling asleep in class. Like that, that was, that was me. Um, but in the middle of God beginning to change my heart and, and, and give me a, you know, a new spirit, give me his spirit. He also started to change my, my mind. Um, and I, developed a love of reading, which is just crazy because I hated reading prior to that. Um, and I just started reading, like, whatever I could get my hands on. Um, and these dudes in this other band gave me a couple books by this guy named Shane Claiborne, who uh, was really involved in, and is still really involved in, like, um, the social justice movement. Um, I read a couple of his books, uh, a book called Irresistible Revolution, 
um, and a book called Jesus for President. And they deeply shaped um, my views of, of politics and my views on um, just God's love for the, the poor and God's love for those who um, are, are weak and destitute in this world, who, who have nowhere else to go. Um, and I think partly because I, I resonated uh, a little bit with those people um, because, you know, we didn't have, I was much more well off than many of the, the folks that I met while I was on the road. Um, some of them light years, but you know, we, I didn't come from money. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We were always on government assistance and, um, you know, especially like my mom's trying to be a single mom and, and, you know, work and we just didn't have much growing up. Um, and things were always hard. So I, I, I resonated with the struggle. Like I, I resonated with some of that, but then seeing God's heart throughout the whole Bible, like all the way from the beginning and, and through the Israelites and how God structured their government, if you will, um, you know, commanding that they have a year of Jubilee where they release debts and release slaves and, you know, like just seeing God's heart for, for the poor and for um, folks that are just, you know, in a bad way, uh, really was foundational in me as a new creation, as a new person in, in Jesus. Um, and so I just, uh, you know, the kind of the next phase of my life is coming back home. Um, I remember feeling God's impression on me that I need to come home and I need to share what he had done in my life. I remember uh, God impressing on me that I need to go home and I need to share uh, what God had done in my life specifically with my dad, which at that point, like I didn't even know if I had forgiveness in my heart to give him. Um, I don't, I don't think I really wanted anything to do with him at that point. But God was like, you need, like, you need to go and you need to, one, you, you need to forgive him. Now that you have experienced my forgiveness towards you, like, you need to go show that to him. And that's what ended my touring career was God's call to um, go and deal with some demons that were from my past and to take out some skeletons and deal with some stuff and, and to forgive my dad and share with him uh, what God was doing in my life. And so I did. Um, I, I went home. I moved back back home with my mom. Now, mind you, like, sometimes people have these stories where they, like, meet Jesus and then, like, God just cleans them right up. 
dude, that was not my, that was not my story, my progression of things. Like I was still so messed up, like still addicted to pornography, still like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have like maybe a, a proper like discipleship, if you will, you know, like I'm just, a, something real had happened inside of me and I'm just trying to figure it out. Like I'm just trying to, to know God and to know Jesus and trying to read my Bible and, and just do what it says. So I'm still a mess. And I, I, I come home, move in with my mom. Um, well, actually, yeah, I actually, before I move in with my mom, I, I actually am living with some friends um, in, in a different town for a while. And, and, but I'm able to come home because it's a town that's really close to the, the town that I live in. Um, and, and so, you know, I start to kind of build back this bridge with my dad. And, you know, eventually I, I do move back home. Um, and I remember going to my dad's apartment for the first time after coming home. You know, seeing the life that he had now started and... and what he was doing and, and how he was living and whatever. And, um, I think he had a, I think he had like a, a poster of like a, a naked girl on the, on the wall in his apartment. Um, he had a couple, I think. Um, and why that's, I mean, why that's important is, is simply because, um, you know, his struggles, regardless of how, absent um he was in my life for large portions of it um i inherited a lot of the things um that my dad struggled with and that was one of them you know it was his playboys that i found that kind of started this whole thing and um but at that moment it was meaningful to me because i remember seeing it and knowing that I still had that in my life, but thinking like there, there's a better way. Like there, there's, God can, God can change this. And I remember, I mean, that conversation was crazy. I just, I shared with my dad, like, you know, I met, I met what I thought, you know, was the real Jesus. Like I, I met him. Um, and, and he's good and he loves me and he loves you. Um, and I want you to know that I forgive you. And, you know, my dad was one of those guys that just didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't know how to share his feelings very well. Um, and the, the feelings or emotions that he did share were often aggressive ones. Um, but I, I said, dad, I started going to this church here in town. Um, do you want to come with, like, do you want to come with me? And I thought for sure he was going to say no. Like I thought for sure that that was going to be stupid to him and, and he was going to have nothing to do with it. Um, but he said, yeah. Um, and he started to come to church and I think he, <laughs> he would, he would have told you this too, but, um, he was more faithful than I was in terms of like 
attendance, you know, like that he, he was there every Sunday. Um, but, but it was hard for me because he, even though I think God had started a work in him and, and had really done some things in his life, um, it was hard because he, at least not in the way that I wanted him to, he, he never really owned up to um, the kind of father that he was. He never really um, expressed that he needed to be forgiven and that maybe a lot of the stuff that went wrong in our family was actually his fault. Um, and that was hard. That, you know, it was hard to, um, to, to show love and forgiveness to someone when they don't feel like they need it or feel like they've done anything wrong or, or even continue to blame other people. Um, which was which was a big struggle for him was just blaming everybody else. You know, it was everybody else's problem, not not his. Um, but uh, around this time, me and this other girl who I had kind of been on and off with, um, you know, we had had sex and were, had broken up and like, you know, whatever. Just it, that was a, a mess too. Um, our relationship started out horribly. Like, uh, there, there were times where I, I, I remember this time we were on a walk, there were some other people with us. Um, and I just got so angry. I was like, I want to move to a different state so that I don't have to be around you. Like, I just, I don't like you. Um, that girl and I, um, had started, you know, kind of getting along a little bit. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things where, you know, she, she, would, she would come stay at my house and, and, you know, we would like have sex or whatever. And, but then like three days later, it would be like, oh, you know, I don't want anything to do with you or whatever. It was that kind of relationship for a long time. Um, but around, around this time where I had started, you know, going back to this church, um, which was the church that I had kind of grown up in. Um, God, like, God was just, he, he wasn't done. Like, he just kept working. It was slow, so slow. And even to this day, it's, it just feels so slow sometimes. But, um, and I remember having, you know, God didn't, like, speak to me audibly, but it, it, it was just this deep impression of, like, you, you either need to let this poor girl free and just leave her alone or you need to marry her. And I was like, all right, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> and I didn't, like, I didn't know even what that looked like. You know, I didn't have a, 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 a male role model. I didn't have that person in my life to like teach me how to be a good husband or a good man or whatever. Like I'm just, I'm learning how to do all those things from Jesus. I'm just trying to read the Bible, do what it says, and and hopefully that's going to, you know, help me figure all this stuff out. So Bree, who is my wife uh, now, um, almost 13 years, well, we just celebrated 13 years, so going on 14 years. Um, 
I just, we weren't dating at the time. I was like, hey, you wanna get married? It's a little more formal than that, but hardly, just barely. Um, and she, she was like, yeah, I, I do wanna get married. Um, we were engaged for, I wanna say like eight months maybe, six or eight months. She's gonna watch this and be like, dude, it was not that amount of time. Um, wasn't very long, because we didn't, we didn't wanna be engaged long. We wanted to be married. Um, and so we're engaged. The church that I'm at, the pastor at the time, sees what God has done in my life, didn't know all the mess, but seen what God had done in my life and was like, hey, we need a, a, a youth pastor. Do you, do you want to come on for an internship? We can kind of try it out. Um, and and I, I, think, I think God has, you know, put it on you to, to be a, a youth pastor. And I was like, yeah. Because uh, at that time I was like, I, I, I love you, Jesus. I still don't know what I'm doing with my life. I want to help people. So it just made sense. It was like, I can help people know Jesus by being a youth pastor. So that's what I did. I started this internship, which totally rocked my world in a lot of really practical ways because I, I had come from kind of a, what I would call kind of just a lazy culture. Um, I, was not, I was used to like staying up late, sleeping in. Um, hard work was not something that I was used to. Um, and God like got me used to a schedule, you know, woke my butt up, got me to work. Um, and, and so there, there was like lots of cool things happening. Um, Bree and I get married, which is just um, amazing. But like the, the real work, you know, like this is like, at this point, it's like kind of shaping up to be like, oh, this is the fairy tale story. This is the happily ever after kind of thing. And this was just the beginning of, of what it means like when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up a cross. You, you have to, this is hard. It's the road that Jesus walks is a rugged, bloody road. And if you want to follow him, that's the road you have to take. So this was just the beginning of that, primarily because up to that point, I had not shared my addiction to pornography really with anybody. Um, my wife, you know, my new wife did not know about it. I mean, she, she knew that I was kind of messed up sexually because she was a part of that, um, but she did not understand the extent of that. Um, you know, the, the church that I was a part of, like, I wasn't honest with anybody because at that time I still was so ashamed of it. I, I didn't, f I felt like if I had shared that with anybody, that everybody's perception of who I was would change and I would, I would be ostracized and I, you know, I, I was just, I was terrified to share it. Um... And so I, you know, I started working at this, this church and I, I started uh, this new marriage and 
Um, God did a lot of really awesome things in the next few years, but it was very hard because I had a part of me that was still in the dark. It was still a secret. And it was eating me alive. Um, I, I remember, you know, going home after a, um, you know, like a Wednesday night youth service and sitting on my bed with my head in my hands, feeling like there is a, a million bricks on my shoulders. You know, I, I, I didn't know maybe that this was like what a panic attack was, but I, you know, I, I felt like I was like, I would have panic attacks because of this burden of like feeling like I'm a little bit of a, a fake or a fraud, you know? even though that's not necessarily true, like God had really done something in my life, I just didn't know what to do with that secret part of me. I was ashamed of it. I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with it and thought I would be rejected if I shared it. And eventually, um, I remember, because I, you know, I, thought, I thought in my mind, if I get married, it's going to go away. Marriage is going to solve that part of me. And it didn't. Um, thing, like, things were good for like a few months, but because it was still in the dark, it, it came back. Um, it's kind of like, you know, like that, that pet snake. Like if you keep it secret and you protect it and you feed it, like it's going to love you back right? It's going to show you affection and, and serve its purpose. But as soon as you realize that actually the snake is like your enemy and it's trying to kill you slowly, and then you decide that you want to kill it, well, then it starts biting back and it, it starts really messing with your life. And so um, I remember the first time that I confessed to, to my wife, to Brie, that, um, you know, that I had like looked at something and, and had, you know, masturbated or whatever. And, and like, she just lost it. Like it, it crushed her. I think partly because even though she had known my past because she was in my past, uh, I, I I think she just thought that it was better now, you know, we were married and, and everything was great. Um, and so it like, I mean, she, she was like on the floor, like cr weeping, like it was rough. And unfortunately, my response to that was, okay, I can't share this with Brie. I can't, I can't ever tell her again, right? You know, I can't, I just have to keep it a secret because of how it affects her. So again, I, you know, I let it fester a little bit longer and eventually I don't even remember how I got to this point, but I got to a point where God said like, dude, enough is enough, man. You, you, you gotta like bring this to the light. Everything. Yeah. There can't be a single part 
of your life that you leave in the dark. And so I remember going to Bree and saying, babe, like, I think tonight we need to just sit and I have to share some things with you. And dude, like the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. We sat down and I literally shared everything. Every, every dark part of my past, every like thing that I had done that even now I'm like, like I just feel like that, that's a shameful thing that you did. Like perverted thing, like just every single thing uh, that I, I had done that I was ashamed of and that I was keeping a secret, I shared with her. I mean, you can probably imagine, you know, the emotions during that conversation. Um, but at the same time, she no longer just saw the, the sin, but she saw like what had led up to that. She saw, you know, that as a six-year-old finding playboys, she saw, she began to feel compassion for me, which I did not deserve. But even though that was the hardest thing I've ever done, everything changed after that moment. Like our marriage changed. It was like God had poured life into me again and poured life into our marriage. And now pornography had lost its power over my life. Not that after that moment, all of a sudden I'm healed and I, I you know, never uh, struggle with that or, or deal with that, but its grip on my life had been broken because now it wasn't a secret. And then after that, I went and told my pastor and shared that with him and his wife. And I began to expose all of the, the darkness that I had been hiding. And then it became, now it was a fight. It went from being this secret pet that I had kept and, and you know, kind of made peace with to like, okay, now it's time to fight. Now it's time to, to make war and to begin to, to take the steps to eradicate this thing and, and deal with it. Um, and so, you know, the next, the next like five, five years or so, like is just a lot of that, like me going back to it because that's all I'd ever known. It was still so ingrained. And then confession and receiving the mercy and the grace of God through my wife was the, the big, I mean, she was the one that I was hurting the most um, besides God, arguably. Um, 
And so to experience this forgiveness and and even just more than forgiveness, but like like real love and and compassion um, was just amazing. You know, we we had uh, you know our first child, um, uh, our daughter Glory. Um, again, just rocked our world. Learning about the love of God through loving your own child is amazing. Um, and it, it, it's like n- now we're in this fight of trying to follow Jesus, love each other, start a family, love our family. Um, but we still have all this baggage. We still have all this stuff that we're trying to work through. Um, we move around a little bit. Uh, we, we move um, to a, a larger metro area. Um, I get a job. This is shortly after our daughter's born. I get a job where I'm working about 100 hours a week. Um, breakneck speed, you know, 15 hours a day. Um, about broke us as a family. Um, I remember coming home just like weeping and crying because I'm so like physically and emotionally drained. Um, I did that for like two months straight before I even had a day off. Um, Wrecked my body. I I actually still have issues um, from that job uh, with with my body. Um, But all the way through this, God is is good to me and good to my family. And he is working on breaking these curses that had been put on us um, from our past and from our families. Um, And, you know, thank you, Jesus, that I I got out of that job eventually. I stuck it out for about a year. um, And, you know, things kind of normalized for a while, but... um, you know, we, we moved around a little bit, moved back to our home area. Um, I got a, you know, good, good job and, and we bought our first home. Um, we had two of our, our kiddos uh, in that home. Um, like my wife gave birth in the living room. Um, and it, God is, has been so good to us, even though I have done a really good job of effing everything up. Um, and he has been faithful to a T to provide for us and make a way, even when there were times where we were like, we don't know how we're going to pay our mortgage. We don't know how we're going to like make ends meet. Like God just checks would show up in our mailbox or on our doorstep our car would break down and somebody would go hey here's a car for you like just always took care of of what we needed um and so now um well about two years ago uh my dad passed away he uh was in a motorcycle crash um, his relationship with the rest of my family was still not great, but he and I had, had 
reconciled at least as much on my end as I, I could. Um, but that was kind of another <clears throat> like pivotal moment in my life um, because I had to take a step back and analyze the effect of my relationship with my dad on my life. Like, you know, when, when someone dies that's close to you, like often you have this introspective, you know, period of time where you just you soul search. You know what I mean? You, you like, you, you realize how short life is. You deal with regrets, you know, like, should I have been more gracious towards my dad? Should I have given him more of my time? Should I have, you know, all of this stuff. And, and you begin to see how much they impacted you. Um, and with my, you know, my struggle with, with pornography and my fight against, um, against lust and against coping with things that are so damaging and, and hurtful, um, I really had to, to dig into who my dad was, uh, so that I could better understand myself. Um, sometimes God just delivers people from stuff. Sometimes you just have this moment where it's like, boom, I, God just delivered me and I'm free and I, I don't deal with that. Sometimes he does like the, the slow cooker kind of approach, you know, where he, like, you got to climb the mountain. I'm not going to move the mountain. I'm, you got to go up it. And there's lessons that you can only learn through that route, through that hard, you know, that, that clawing and scraping, you know. And so I wrestled with who my father was and, and who I am as a part of that. And I, I began to dig into my childhood and really wrestle with, you know, the, the abuse as a child. And um, I started going to a, a Celebrate Recovery program, which is, you know, folks that have dealt with addiction maybe are more familiar with like AA or something like that. Um, well, this is kind of like that, except it's all about Jesus. And they use the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount as kind of their foundation for how they deal with um, these different addictions and things. Um, and, and that, like, that's, so now I, you know, I, I help lead worship, um, at, uh, the CR that I'm a part of, the Celebrate Recovery that I'm a part of, and I'm just trying to know Jesus better. I'm trying to deal with my, uh, past issues, um, and, uh, love my family, and I want to leave, a legacy for them. I don't want them to follow down the path that I was on before that was left by my parents and possibly their parents and, and so on. Um, God is, is breaking those generational curses in my family and uh, I'm just excited to be a part of it and to see the freedom and love that, uh, that we find in Jesus. Um, 
So I, I think if, if you're watching this, I think people that I would speak to, if you would listen, um, one would be that person that maybe has like that thing in their life that they're ashamed of, that they feel like they can't share with anybody. Um, they feel like people are going to reject them. I want to be really honest. It was embarrassing to share that part of me. I felt like an idiot. I felt, for a, for a time, I felt just gross and I felt like like I couldn't even look at people in the eye after I told them. But you will never be free of those things if you keep them in the darkness. And, and you will live the rest of your life as a, essentially a slave to that thing. It's your master. If you are brave enough, if you ask God to help you to share those things and be honest, you will find healing. God can do anything. Like, I know that maybe sounds like cheesy, whatever, but like, dude, I've, I've lived it. I should not be where I am today. There's no reason that I should be at the place in my life that I am with a family that loves me. With kids that look up to me and say, Daddy, we love you. Like, there's no reason that I should be there except that God can do anything. He can redeem any situation. It doesn't, like, whatever, put whatever label you want on yourself. God can, can give you life and redeem that thing that you have or that you've done. And so I would encourage that person, like, find some people that you trust, that you know are not going to be, like, douchebags about it, and they're not going to, like, because the people that reject you and that ostracize you, like, dude, the, I don't, I don't want to be, like, too harsh, but there, there was a, a woman that was brought to Jesus that they wanted to stone because she was caught in adultery. Jesus could have not only socially, but also morally been right to pick up the stone and stone the woman. He, he was the perfect incarnate deity. Like, he could do whatever the heck he wants to do. But he doesn't. He looks at all the other people who are bloodthirsty and self-righteous, and he says, all right, you guys go ahead and throw the first stone if you're sinless. If you've never done anything wrong, you go ahead and throw it. So find those people that you love and trust and you know that they love you and just share it. Like, you're going to feel stupid for a little bit. You, it might be, like, terrifying, but that's the path. Like, that's the path to freedom. That's the path to a life that is not ruled by that thing. 
and you, you can be healed. There's so many questions that I have, but I have tasted and I have seen that Jesus is good and that his, his answer to why are we here and what the heck is going on with the world and it's the only thing that has made any sense to me. So I would encourage that person um, to Keep looking. I think if you sit down for a second and, and meet with Jesus, he might show you that your searching can be over. At least in some some regard. <laughs>